This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Valentine's Day, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 14th, episode 1631. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday... And it doesn't get much better than best conditioned. And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me up. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Valentine's Day. We hope you all have a wonderful day today with your loved ones, whoever they may be, four-legged, two-legged, whatever. (laughs) We don't care. Just have a wonderful day. Or it's Happy Friends Day for for those that don't have sweethearts. So Happy Friends Day to all of them. We're your friends, so we're saying Happy Friends Day, aren't we? Aren't we, Karen? Yes. That's right. (laughs) And Happy Valentine's Day to you, Karen. And happy Valentine's Day to you and Jennifer. Yes, we get to hang out together once a month because Karen is here doing the endurance episode every month, and it's always on the second Tuesday of the month. And boy, oh boy, I'll tell you what, weather around this country right now on Valentine's Day, we got people buried in snow in the northeast and the northern part of the country. We've got storms all across Texas and the south. Uh, we uh-huh. have you out there with uh, mud up to your eyeballs and snow and uh, flooding on and the flooding. west coast all over uh-huh. the place. Now, you're as the crow flies, you're not too far, what, a couple of hours from the Oroville Dam situation. Right, yes. Actually, there used to be a... a- a Lake Oroville endurance ride that we oh. used to ride up there around. And did and, they go near the dam? Yes, it did. And, um, but I, I never knew, of course, until this made national news <laughs> that this is one of the largest dams in the world. They said it's 700 feet high. That's, that is, that's high. That's 70 stories. That's crazy, isn't it? Yes. You know, and did you ride around the top. There's a little walkway or something, isn't there? I think we did. Yeah. I think we went right over it, over the the concrete part of it. And um, but you know, wow, these poor people—they've evacuated almost two hundred thousand people, and a lot of horses. They're not allowed, right? right? And a lot of animals, and and that's kind of a problem because. They only gave these people like an hour to to leave. So not everybody was able to get out and get all of their animals out. They weren't allowing horse trailers to go back up to get the rest of them, you know. So not everybody can take them all in one trip. So, you know, I'm hearing from my friends that, you know, there's still 
you know, animals up there that need to be fed and taken care of and nobody can get to them. So there's a little bit, you know, of a problem kind of, and hopefully it's not going to get any worse. We've got more storms coming in or, you know, for the next few days. So we're, we're just going to have to wait and see kind of what happens. Hopefully it's all going to turn out okay. From what I saw this morning, they, they're really trying. They're, they have maximum water. They're, they're putting maximum water out of the dam at this point, trying to get it down as far as they can before the next storms come in. Uh, and, and, you know, it's if anybody ever read the book about – what was that book called, Jennifer? Do you remember about Johnstown, Pennsylvania? We – it was about the Johnstown flood. flood. I can't remember the name of the, what the book. The name of it was I can't remember. Yeah, we listened to it on Audible on a trip one time, and it was just fascinating. It was in the 1900s, I think. I think it was 1900s, early 1900s, and a wall of water. The dam broke above Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which was in a valley, and the wall of water, 100 feet tall, came down and took the entire town and killed thousands of people. So oh, I gosh. thought they were trying to avoid David here. McCullough. What was That's it called? The one we read. The one by David McCullough. Yeah, okay. Johnstown Flood. It was just simple there, but it was David McCullough's version. It was excellent. Yeah, it was oh, very good. Okay. And it just gave you a feeling of how terrifying it was because there was no warning. And it just. Oh, no. Yeah, it just gave. Oh, my gosh. And it was one of the best, worst damn disasters in the whole in the world. Uh, wow. Because it just wiped out the whole town. Well, you know, I don't think, I think in this case, I think the dam itself is okay. It's the overflow spillway. That, yeah, but if that gives away, the that's results the same. You still have 100 foot of water coming down the valley. It doesn't matter which, how it well, happens, right? <laughs> well, no. Yeah, it just might go a little bit different way, perhaps. But yes, you're right. It's still going to be <laughs> a catastrophic problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, we wish oh. them all the best. It's a scary situation, but it does look like it, the the amazing part is it looks like people actually got out. Which, you know, I realize there are some animals that got left behind, but usually in these situations there's all those people that stay behind saying, "Oh, it'll never happen to me," you know. Uh, right. But I haven't heard a whole lot of that. So Well, they were talking about it, you know, at least locally the news was covering it quite extensively, so it was a big issue for several days before they did the evacuation order okay. and you know some of us are sitting back going why aren't these people getting out of there <laughs> you know because uh, you know why risk it you know get packed up get ready and that's the the important lesson here is you know have your important papers together you know have the things that you know you need to take with you if you do need to evacuate for whatever the reason is and have it ready so that you don't have to waste time doing that uh, if you know you end up in a situation like these people have because i mean really two hundred thousand people that's a lot of people it is a lot. It is a lot. Well, before we go on with uh, talking about speaking of disasters, <laughs> I have something that Karen posted that I really want to get to. But first, uh, you've had some losses in the endurance community that you wanted to share. Yes, we did. And I just wanted to pay a little tribute and, and mention that And uh, so far this year, we've lost two endurance legends. The first one is Jackie Bum Gardner, who was a longtime endurance writer. Writer. Uh, she also had a couple of stallions that were very noteworthy of the Fire Mountain uh, endurance 
horses. She rode over 30,000 miles and put on some of the best endurance rides that, you know, anybody has ever done, which is uh, the uh, Death Valley Encounter, uh, 20 Mule Team, and the Eastern High Sierra Classic, which was one of my first endurance rides. And um, she's definitely going to be missed. And then the other is Dr. Barney Fleming, who was a ride endurance vet. He vetted um, for several years. He traveled all around the country vetting like every ride. He vetted more rides than anybody. He did a lot of research. Um, he ended up taking my very first endurance horse, Dreamweaver. And when I retired Weaver, he asked me, he said, hey, Karen, you know, I need a trail horse that I can trust that's safe to ride. And he was losing his eyesight. He had macular degeneration. And so I sent Weaver out to him into uh, Custer, South Dakota. And uh, he was Weaver ended up actually being a seeing eye horse in a essence, and they had a great relationship, and uh, it worked out just you know beautifully. So uh, many of us are are mourning the loss of both of these two people that contributed a great deal to the sport of endurance riding and. Uh, had many, many, many friends and are both, uh, and you know, like I said, endurance legends. And so we're going to miss them both. And uh, thoughts and prayers from everybody at the Horse Radio Network to both of their families. Now, speaking of families, you uh, have been posting endlessly on your Facebook page. <laughs> um, but it's been actually interesting. Now, I got to tell you that the whole ancestry and doing ancestry research bores me to death. And I think Does part, it? yeah, okay. I think part of that is because we never had a very good relationship with any of my grandparents. So, kind of that whole family thing for for oh, me okay. and my brothers was never that great, right? So, um, you know, it just wasn't all that good. So that's why I think that the whole ancestry thing it just never got into it. But then you uh-huh. started posting about yours and just get. Just give us a quick overview of why you did and what you know what what prompted this. Well, I was well, I was stuck in the house because of the weather. I had to do. I was bored. I had to do something. (laughs) I couldn't ride the horse. I mean, really, it was just horrible weather. We were having you know winds that were blowing semi trucks over on the highway. Uh, The power was going off and on and off and oh my gosh! So I I decided I actually kind of did a thing where I. the University of Michigan, it's called Genes for Good. And if you go there, you can look on Facebook and just look up Genes for Good. And if you answer their health questionnaires, they will do a DNA test for free for you. And so I did that and I got the test back and it, it you know, it, it came back for me that I was 100% Northern European. And so that got me interested on on what my ancestry was. So I decided to go and finally, you know, do it because gosh darn, every time I turn on the TV, there's an ad for it, right? Right, right. So yeah, so I decided what the heck, let's go check it out. And so I did. And actually, I got kind of lucky. And I knew a lot. I, I knew a little bit. 
from one side of the family, I knew actually quite a lot about some of the ancestors that I had. Uh, and, and they, they wrote a lot of letters and, and there was a book published on, on one of the family lines. And my grandma used to read all of that stuff to me when I was a kid. And so I was kind of interested in it and I've always been interested in history. That's why I love writing all that on the historical trails that I've ridden on, you know, the outlaw trail, the Applegate Lassen trail, um, Lost Wagon Train, the Pony Express. So I've got a long history of wanting to, you know, or having ridden on all these historical trails and learning about the people that came before me on them. And so I started going back in my family tree and I found one of my sixth great-grandfather who immigrated to the United States in 1738, and he kept an account book, which the day he left Germany, he started writing in it. So like a diary? It was just like a journal or a diary, yes. And he kept it, and he wrote in it, and then his son wrote in it, and then his grandson. And so it was kept for over 100 years. Wow. And they... Ended up having. What was the uh, last name, by the way? Uh, the last name was Chris. Chris, okay. And it was originally in German. It was spelled K R U S S. And then over here, it was spelled every which way you could even conceive. That was that was the interesting thing with doing this ge- genealogy research is that things were spelled phonetically right. and not necessarily correctly, right. and so. You can find stuff spelled, uh, you know, every which way. Uh, Originally, it was spelled just like Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T. And then then the H was taken out. And then eventually the T was taken off and an S was added. And and so it ended up being C-R-I-S-S. But, you know, I had one ancestor. He entered the Civil War. Uh, C-R-I-S-T, and then when he, you know, finished the next uh, United States census, he is just C-R-I-S-S. So, um, you know, that's the interesting thing. You just have to learn that things are going to be spelled differently and things change like that. But I found so much interesting stuff, like with this um, particular diary, or as they called it, the account book. They wrote down, you know, all of the births and the deaths and all of the important stuff. You know, he talked about his trip over on the boat, which, you know, took months. I mean, the, the, uh, you know, all of our ancestors that came here, I mean, the stuff that they endured, I mean, people can't even imagine, you know, spending months on a boat often with livestock and uh, cramped conditions i mean it was just miserable well i want to fast forward from there uh before we run out of time because and, and everybody can you've been posting this on your personal page right so um, yes so people yes. can head over uh, to karen chatton if they want to follow that and it's been interesting there's been a lot of but that i found the most interesting we're going to fast forward to 1812 so now, okay. is this still out of the same journal book? Yes. 
you know, I don't know if this was, I don't think this was in the journal or, or not, okay. but this was my great grandfather is the one that started the journal. He was my sixth great grandfather, Nicholas, and it was his son, George, who actually turned out he was going to be my fifth great uncle. And he wrote about the New Madrid earthquake of 1812. And this earthquake was supposedly like a hundred times stronger than the San Francisco earthquake in, in 1900. And it was supposed to be uh, it was supposed to be one of the worst earthquakes that anybody ever knows about here. You know, it was, <laughs> I, I, know I remember reading about it and. Uh, and he had a journal. They had journal entries about this. And I want you to read the journal entries. Now, imagine we're back in 1812. There's no TV. There's no radio. There's no way of communicating, really, except by horse. So, uh, you, so you're waking up one morning and? Yes, I think the first quake started at like two in the morning. And so he wrote this um you know, uh, overview of what it was like. And so, and it's just, it's like awesome that we have this. Okay. So this is what, uh, uh, George Chris wrote in, uh, 1812, the new Madrid earthquake. There was a great shaking of the earth this morning. Tables and chairs turned over and knocked around. All of us knocked out of our bed. The roar I thought would leave us deaf if we lived. It was not a storm. When you could hear, all you could hear was screams from people and animals. It was the worst thing that I have ever witnessed. It was still dark and you could not see nothing. I thought the shaking and the loud roaring, loud roaring sound would never stop. You could not hold on to nothing. Neither man or woman was strong enough. The shaking would knock you loose, like knocking hickory nuts out of a tree. I do not know how we lived through it. None of us was killed. We was all banged up, and some of us knocked out for a while, and blood was everywhere. When it got daybreak, you could see the damage done all around. We still had our home. It was some damage. Uh, The 16th of December, 1811. What we are going to do, we cannot fight it because you do not know. It is not something that you can see. In a storm, you can see the sky and it shows dark clouds and you know that you might get strong winds. But this, you cannot see anything but a house that just lays in a pile on the ground. Not scattered around in trees, just falls over with the roots still on it. The earthquake or whatever it is come again today. It was as bad or worse than the one in December. We lost our Amandy Jane in this one. A log fell on her. We will bury her up on the hill under a clump of trees where Betsy's ma and pa is buried. A lot of people think that the devil has come here. Some thinks that this is the beginning of the world coming to an end. That was the 23rd of January, 1812. If we do not get away from here, the ground is going to eat us alive. We had another one of them earthquakes yesterday, and today the ground is still shakes. The ground still shakes at times. We are all about to go crazy from pain and fright. 
we cannot do anything until we can find our animals or get some more. We have not found enough to pull the wagons. That was the 8th of February, 1812. I do not know if our minds have got bad or what, but everybody says it. I swear you can feel the ground move and shake some. We still have not found enough animals to pull the wagon. And you cannot find any to buy or trade. That was the 10th of March, 1812. So that's over almost a four-month period of time that they're living with this. And if, if you think about it, I mean, again, you have no point of reference, right? All you know is what your neighbor says and what they right. hear and what they hear and what they hear. And you would think the world was coming to an end. And it was, it was just massive earthquakes. And uh, I remember reading well, they... about it. Yeah, they said the Mississippi River flowed backwards for several hours. And whole forests fell down. Just literally yes. fell down. <laughs> I mean, right. Yeah. And it, it formed, a, it made a brand new lake. Um, it was causing the crystals in the earth were um, sending out light from from the earth. People disappeared in the fissures that that formed that were my you know my some of them were five miles long and people just disappeared and were never found again and, and apparently they really they, don't they lost their horses and their move. animals and their cows and everything else just you know disappeared exactly when they ran and or so, they, they went away you know they just uh tried to get away from it can you imagine how terrified the horses must have been it was just oh a, gosh that was the thing they couldn't they didn't have the animals and the and and the ones that were there you know ran you know ran in fear and they it took them actually they did one of the next journal entries was like six weeks later and they were able to finally get out of there oh were they because um, but, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't even imagine the the fear and the terror because, you know, they didn't know what earthquakes were or, or what this was that was going on. This These earthquakes, it was like 2,000 of them over a five-month period. And, by the way, we're talking about New Madrid. This was in Missouri, right? Well, St. Louis. South of St. Louis is where, where this was Exactly. Was yep. But they felt the earthquake for – it was like a million square miles. It rang church bells in Boston. Yeah, and apparently the Rocky Mountains as well. You know, all through the Rocky Mountains, where you live even, they felt it. Uh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And it was – again, it was one of the worst earthquakes that they've – ever recorded to to have here in the United States. Just unbelievable. I think in, in history, I think they're considering it one of the, you know, the worst, you know, some of the worst earthquakes ever recorded. But, you know, it's over 200 years ago now. So, you know, nobody alive. Why? Well, I'm shocked there hasn't been a movie made about this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no kidding. The, the ultimate. Yes. Yes. With Leonardo oh, DiCaprio and a beard, you know, trying to survive <laughs> the uh, earthquakes in the in New Madrid, I'm just shocked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, now that we only have a couple of minutes, that was fascinating, though, and and some of the other accounts you had written about were just which were just fascinating as well. And, and it's just so neat that you were able to find that you know the journal. I mean that that it was all written down, and and you really got a feeling reading it. You know how scared they were; they had no idea. And it was in the exactly. winter, too. That's the other thing. I mean, you know, this wasn't happening in the summer. This was happening in the middle of winter when when 
when you lived back then, things were hard and terrifying anyway. So <laughs> well, and just the fact that they couldn't hold anything. Like if they tried to grab something to hold on, that it was so violent that they were shaken loose that they couldn't hold on to stuff. <laughs> just I mean, wow. You yep. know, just oh my gosh. And you know Happy Valentine's the, Day, everybody. Yeah, by the way. Happy Valentine's Day. You know, but the thing is, is an earthquake that severe occurs regularly every couple hundred years and it's overdue. Yeah. So, you know. But, well, people. let's uh, let's go on to happier things. Yes, let's do, <laughs> Dams let's breaking do. and uh, this is all just this happy stuff for Valentine's Day. Real quick, we <laughs> only have a couple of minutes, Karen, because our guest is going to be ready. But uh, tell us about the convention next month. Oh, yes. The AERC National Convention is coming up March 10th and 11th in Grapevine, Texas, which is near Dallas. And so they've got lots of educational stuff that you can go and uh, sign up for to take all the lectures and go go learn on lots of different topics. But they've also got a tax swap. So if you have tack you want to sell or you want to just go and, and look and shop, you can. The trade show is also free to attend. as uh, So you can go and, uh, you know, do some shopping, see all the latest and greatest and newest uh, stuff that endurance riders are, are using. But they've got a lot of great educational uh, topics that they're covering uh, with the lectures that you can go and uh, learn, uh, you know, all the newest cutting edge type of stuff, which is uh great deal of fun and so if you want to learn more about that just go to aerc.org all right that's for the american endurance ride conference and we have Kristen with us as she is every single month from distance depot for what seems like 30 years now we've been doing this show uh it's probably not quite that long but uh good morning Kristen. good morning karen and glenn Good, good morning. Thank you again for joining us today. Are you buried in snow up there? No, actually, our weather is quite nice. So, <laughs> yeah, no snow, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty mild, so we'll take that. Um, I'm sorry for the snow uh, the snow lovers, but um, <laughs> I'm not You know, the it, snow, I'll take snow any day. It's the, the yeah. rain and the flooding and... You know right, that, or ice, yeah. And you know yeah, what I don't miss, guys. Here. I hate to tell you, but I saw pictures of Karen's mud. She has mud <laughs> up to your elbows. I oh. do not miss mud living in Florida. That's one of the things we don't have to deal with down here. So that's so nice not having mud anymore. Ugh. I, I know. Uh, tell yeah. me about it. Yes, the mud is <laughs> something we could all do without. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. So, so Kristen, this month we're going to talk about the back on track products. You said you've got some new, new items in. So tell us about them. Yes, we're excited to have the back on track products. Um, they have been around for quite a while, and I'll tell you a little bit about how they work. Um, basically, the material is permanently infused with ceramic particles that work naturally to reflect the body's warmth, and it comes through as a far infrared wave, which increases blood circulation. 
So as the circulation increases, injuries heal faster, um, and the horse becomes, and yourself, because we have products for people too, you become less sore and stiff, and you have better flexibility and less potential than for um, future injury. So pretty neat products. Um, to, for, for those of us that are training um, and or just riding, if you have, um, say you have some arthritis in your hands or your hands are sore and stiff in the cold, their riding gloves are perfect. Um, they do tend to run, we found, just about a half a size small, so we do recommend going up half a size if you're thinking about getting the riding glove. Um, okay. But they are, you can feel it when you put them on. It's incredible. Um, they do tend to warm up, which is kind of a funny feeling, but um, after a little bit, I do have some stiffness, I think probably from all of my sewing <laughs> that, uh-huh. that I have done over the years, but um, I put them on just for a little while, wore them around, and I thought, well, this is pretty, uh, it really did um, start to warm up. It's very interesting, um, but so I imagine that the, then the horse would have the same effects, so we have some um, hawk boots for the hawk stiffness, of course, and um, a quick wrap which would just go on the legs to increase um, circulation. And you can put these on overnight so the horse can wear them um, and help with, um, you know, to promote any healing. And not necessarily for injury, but also for prevention of injury. Um, So, you know, to help uh, just in a therapeutic way. And we have a mesh sheet that the horse can wear. So if you have back soreness, hip soreness, pectoral muscles and and all of that it really is helpful so pretty fun we have a a pole cover too um, that the horse can wear you can put it on the top of the bridle and it helps to relieve stiffness in the pole Um, and then for people there's a back brace and a knee brace ankle brace so and we will be bringing in um, some more of these products I imagine as people start to ask for more and more Things. They have shirts and headbands and long johns, all, <laughs> all kinds <laughs> of products. So, yeah, we're excited about this line. Yes, it looks really interesting and, and very, you know, helpful for the horses. And um, I see, you know, I'm kind of interested in the, the, the back brace because I'm sure that's going to help a little bit also with your posture so that. Uh, yes, it's uh, pretty stir- sturdy. We we put it on um, just to see how sturdy it was, and it it sure it gives good support. I mean, these products are really um, designed to support the rider as well. And I know so many people have knee you know knee issues and back mm-hmm. issues, so we're this will be a a great product. Yes, um, the knee really brace definitely a helpful thing because yes a lot of endurance riders have knee issues all that downhill trotting has its right takes its toll on <laughs> us right yeah, right that's right okay and so if somebody was interested in ordering any of these items um what's your website well, address and phone number all right well we are www.thedistancedepot.com and our toll-free number is 866-863-2349. And I will quickly mention that we will also be at the AARC convention with our booth. So we will be bringing product. And if there's product that anyone wants, they can surely give us a shout, and we'll be happy to bring it along. Great. Well, and well it's actually- not snowing in Texas, so you should be good. 
Yes, I know. And actually, one of the guests coming on later, Randy uh, Winter, has a a product that you also Uh sell. The the Rain rain Keeper, or Rain Safe, he calls it. Yes, and we sell a lot of those. They're so handy. My junior writer instantly just loved it she just fell in love with it and it I mean it's wonderful you know for anybody especially you know if you're a writer and you stop and you take pictures or whatever often on the trail it's just a really convenient thing to have but it's really great for the kids all right don't give away the ending oh yeah coming up later in the show (laughs) i won't we we won't we haven't no spoilers karen (laughs) okay (laughs) well thanks for having me all right thanks Kristen. okay well thanks Kristen. have a a great day bye-bye all right okay bye-bye and it is the distance depot.com don't forget the the because right. uh, distancedepot.com yes. something else. So you want this, the, the distancedepot.com. That's what you want. Well, now you had an opportunity to uh, catch up with somebody. Tell us about our guest. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Dial, our, our first guest, who is the chief to keep for the United States Equestrian the Endurance chef Team. Oh, chef to keep. Chef to keep. Chef to keep. Did I? Yeah, you said chef chief because you had your horse on your mind. Chief. <laughs> I do have my horse on the mind. My, For my those that don't know, our horse's name is Chief. So that's why. Chief, poor chief. Yeah, poor chief. He's, you know, he'd like to be a chef. Chef. <laughs> Kick his own dinner. Because that would mean he could Get fed po- all the time. Eat, eat more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because that's his only goal in life is a gelding. Is and then to he'd eat. be a fat chef to keep. <laughs> well, he, he's already, yeah, kind of. Sorry, going. <laughs> so, anyways, we just uh, we're gonna uh, talk to Mark and find out about the new selection process for the United States endurance team. All right, very good. Let's take a listen. Good morning, Mark. Thank you for joining us this morning. How are you doing today? Oh, we're doing pretty good over here in Texas. Yeah, what's your weather been like over there? Uh, last couple, I think yesterday it was 81. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. I don't know what I'm going to do if we... It's blowing in 51. Oh, wow. 30-degree difference. Yes, that almost sounds like Nevada. <laughs> We've been having a lot of flooding and, and uh, pretty good winter here um, compared to usual. Um, so tell us a little bit about your position with USEF and being the chef of the um, U.S. equestrian team. What exactly does that entail? Oh, um, I go to a lot of rides, look at a lot of horses, and try to find um Horses try to identify horses and riders that we think will fit into our program. I don't know if you know or not, but the USCF has come out with some new with some new guidelines, and um, we're working on a a team concept now. And um, like right now, we're already trying to pick horses for the World Equestrian Games in Tryon in 2018. Okay, and so what exactly are you looking for when you go to a ride to look at these horses? Uh, we're looking at the horses themselves. We're looking at um, the riders. We're looking at crew. 
we're looking at how all three work together during a competition. Um, and we're looking for a lot of sound horses. Okay. And how's that going so far? Uh, well, for the, for the young rider championship is going really well. And we've got some really good horses that have already started that we've already started looking at for the WEG. And right now we're kind of happy. Uh, we've, we've got a lot of, we've got some seniors who have shown a lot of interest in the WEG. And then, like I said, we've gotten several good young riders that have already demonstrated for the, the junior world championship in Italy this September. Wow. And so tell us about the WEG, the next one coming up. Oh, it's going to be in Tryon. It's going to be here at home. Uh, it's not going to be as, as hilly as Biltmore, but it's going to be pretty rolling. Um, they've just now started building a lot of trails, so we don't have a lot of information. But I know that Tryon is a world-class equestrian facility. They are, they're, they are already doing a lot of um, FBI jumping, dressage, cross-country, and um, equestrian sports like that there. Wow. And when is that going to be? Do you, know, do you know offhand the date? I don't have a firm date. It'll be September of 2018. Okay. And so as far as the selection goes, who is responsible for so actually selecting the horses that make the team? Um, we've got three selectors. Um, Martha Ratner, Carol Giles, Linda Howard, who actually go with us uh, while we go out and look at the horses. Then we have a, we've got a vet panel of Olivia Rodolfi, Todd Hallbrook, Ken Marcello, and Ann Stewart are the team vets, then myself and Kristen Brett. These selectors observe, like we have observation rides now instead of selection rides, and the selectors will go to these rides, and the people who wish to be observed tell us beforehand, and then we watch them, and we observe them, their horse, and their crew. Then and we also usually do a vet exam after the ride, and we compile all the notes. Then the selectors will come up with what they think is a list of good sound horses and good riders and good crew, and they'll make a suggestion, and then I get to weigh in a little bit on that. And then once we make that selection, what we're doing now is we have um, the pool, and from the pool we'll go down before the ride, uh, usually we try to, we're planning on doing it in like late June. We'll go and we'll invite all the horses who have made this cut and there we'll have some classes and we'll have some competitions. Then we'll decide who's actually on the training squad because going forward in, especially with the young rider championship, now we're ha we're trying to have an ongoing team so where we can pick riders and horses from this pool to go to these different championships, and that way we don't wait until six months before a championship to try to find a horse that's still sound. Right. And so besides the soundness, what things are you looking for in a horse? Um, horses that can do some speed. We're not looking for a lot of speed right now. We're looking for horses that can complete the competitions. Um, size 
you know, for a ride like Tryon, they don't have to be huge, you know, long strided horses. They've just got to be, you know, confirmationally sound. Uh-huh. That's the main thing. And what kind of... Oh, go ahead, Jennifer. I have a question for you. So this differs a little bit from previous World Equestrian Games where the selection committee selected a team specifically for WEG, and that was the team's only um, venue. And then when the next international competition where the USET had to send a team, it was a whole new selection process for each individual competition. Is that, am I getting that right? It was, yes, ma'am. So now what you're Not trying, to do, trying to do is select a team of X number of horse rider combinations, and then you can cherry pick mm-hmm. from that team for each individual competition? Yes, ma'am. So... <clears throat> How, do you have any idea how many are going to be on that team that you cherry pick from? Uh, we would we would like a team of twenty four okay. as our goal. And this this right now, we've already started making a long range plan. I think their USCF is working toward twenty twenty two. So of that's those, where, that's what we're working toward. Working toward. So twenty four. And how frequently would the selection process begin anew in that is every, annually you pick, you go through and say, all, all 24 of you are out. We're going to completely start over from a clean slate or is it nope. going to be rolling? Nope. No, it's going to be rolling there. Once they okay. get into that position, they will have made the team. Okay. And once they're on that team, they have everything we have available to help them with. We help them with. We're going. We've already got access to some of the USCF psychologists, um, some of the USCF um, physiologists, and we have access to everything that USCF has available to riders and horses. This way, we if we have a hiccup with a horse, then we don't. We're not worried about it. You know, ten months down the road when we didn't find out about it, we know what's going on. Now we're encouraging these people who are on the team to have two or three horses going at the same time. So if something happens and we can bring up the next horse and keep them going. And we've the, the new program that's, that's going to be rolled out here pretty soon is for emerging horses and emerging athletes also. So these, these emerging horses and these emerging athletes will have all the resources that we have to give them to help them bring them up to a world level. And with the horses and the people we have now, a lot of these people are, have been competing, and all we're going to do is, you know, look at the horses and fine-tune things to get horses that can complete. Okay. Is this something that's um, kind of new for endurance and the other disciplines, or is it just um, kind of new for well, endurance? It's really new for endurance. Okay. Uh, some of the other disciplines have been doing something similar to this for a while, and USCF is going to they what they want to do is kind of streamline the process so we quit having all these uh ohs. You know, uh-huh. we didn't see that we did that, and um, that way you know this way we can we can forecast we can have a long range plan because we know what we've got in the pipeline. And uh-huh. we'll always be going out looking for new things because people and horses just, you know, they, they lose interest 
or they have problems and they, you know, they will be just taken off the list. And we're looking for horses and riders who we're going to try to have in the emerging athlete and the emerging horse program that we can draw from them and say, okay, now's your chance. You're moving up. Let's see what you got. Wow. So one more question. This is just such a new concept. I think it's, it's worthwhile spending just a few minutes on. So George and his horse, Elmara, get to the team. And they're going merrily along on the team, and they compete at WEG. And then they compete at the next um, international venue. So they've got two under their belt. Everything is going swimmingly. And then George and Elmara have a problem. George falls down the steps eating at, out of dinner one night with his best friend and breaks his knee, so he's not going to be able to ride. Is he just dropped from the team and someone else is brought in in order to keep that round number of 24? Is that how it's going to work? That the, the number 24 is just is a number. That's all it is. We may have more, we may have less. If, if George breaks his knee, if it's not a career-ending injury, then... We will coordinate with George. We'll try to have somebody keep his horse in shape, keep his horse going, and keep his horse competing until George, who now with the USCF has access to some staff physiologists and staff doctors, we can help George get better faster and try to get George back in the pool. Now, George will not be on the – after every competition, the riders are not on the traveling squad again. They go back onto the team. They have to requalify for the next championship at the training session for that traveling squad. But George will still be on the team. And how many are on on the traveling squad? Uh, that's dictated by the competition. Okay. Uh, usually six. Uh, we have five horses that compete and one alternate. Okay. And where are, do you know where um, a lot of these um, qualifying or rides are going to be held at or the ones where you're going to be watching the horses coming up? They're all posted on the USCF website. Okay. Uh, all Our new selection procedures are posted for the WEG and for the Young Rider Championship. And um, all, of our, all of our observation rides they're all posted, and we can usually tell you who's going to be. If it's going to be a selector and a vet, or if I'm going to be at that ride, we can usually tell you exactly who's going to be there. Okay, great. Uh, Jennifer, have you got any other questions to follow up? I could probably keep poor Mark busy for a couple of weeks on this. Um, that's a, it's a fascinating thing that they're trying to streamline it, make it more efficient, give, give both the selectors and the riders a little bit more of a heads up on how things are going to go, but uh, I think I think that's good for today, yeah. Okay. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, good luck to you and our team. Best wishes for a successful WEG and the Young Riders, too. You know, thank you very much. We need, you know, horse racing or endurance riding is all about luck and just being in the right place at the right time. It sure is. <laughs> Having a good day. Well, thank you again and have a great day also. Well, that's interesting. Now, what do you got before we go to our song today and our next guest? What do you what do you guys think of that? that I, this is the first time hearing this. And as you know, Karen, we cover the WEG. We have the World Question Games uh-huh. show, the 2018 WEG show. We've covered them for the last several 
So it's a new, it is a new concept to do it that way. And so what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think they've kind of figured out that the, some of the older ways of that they, they were using weren't really working or, you know, they weren't all that successful. Like he had kind of hinted that they wouldn't find out until the last minute that, that somebody's horse was having a, a, a an issue with soundness or something like that. So hopefully this is going to um, be an improvement and, and we'll end up with a, a nice solid team for you know, going into WAG, um, it, it, it's it, going to be. It was wise very to interesting that number to choose a couple dozen because, you know, a lot of the sports they'll have their their they kind of have their eye on five or ten, but uh-huh. as he said, and especially you know, I, I would think with endurance riding too, you know, you have horses breaking down all the time, and then all of a sudden you're scrambling to you know to to identify a couple of more. So with 24, right, he's right. going to have enough to pick a team of what four to four to five, probably. Um, right. So yeah, that I, I think that's a great idea. Well, I think also it's, the, yeah, go ahead, Jennifer. For the Olympic competitions, the new Olympic format's going to change in that we're not going to have as many riders per team anymore. So the soundness of the horse becomes paramount because if you lose a, exactly they're completely changing that as far as the olympic is olympics olympics is concerned so they're going to have to change things up a little bit and i guess by putting them quote on the team that gives the usef the ability to get detailed information on the horse's uh soundness level and you know where where problems might be cropping up and where previous problems might be getting better or worse like you said, so to avoid the um, avoid those surprises. I, it, I, at first, I didn't like the idea. I, thought, nah, I don't think I like this at all. But I think I'm kind of liking it in that at least they know, right, what's going on. Right. Well, you know, yeah. and horses are so you know dang fragile. I mean, you know, they're the the toughest, well, strongest only fra- creatures. They're only fragile but... when there's something important going on. That's right. Well, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You That's know, right. just the the dumbest, and then just the slightest, dumbest little thing can affect them and uh, set them off. You know, whether it's you know something like a you know a a mild colic or a lameness or or whatever uh so you know it's tough cuz you, you know everybody has invested so much time and effort and money to get these horses into the condition you know that's required and to perform at, at those upper levels and then just one little silly thing it can just throw a wrench into the whole thing, you know, and mess it all up. Well, and the other thing they're looking for, too, he didn't say this, and he didn't come out and say this directly, but obviously not just the horse, but they're looking for for riders that are going to be good team players, that are going right. to be good uh-huh. on a team, because as we know, there's some that are not. So they're also looking for personality of the riders, uh-huh. and you'll get to know them better this way, right? So you're going to get to spend more time with them, get to know them better. You're going to be having conversations with them all the time. Uh, I think it's a good idea. So are we going to see right. you? You're going to you're going to switch over to FEI and <laughs> ride in the wag, Karen? You're going to come see us? Probably not. <laughs> uh, geez. 
You know, we have, we have a spotlight rider every time every time we do a WEG show do where you? we we spotlight uh, okay. one rider and follow them in their you path. You know, could you just like magically make my horses 10 years younger? Yeah, that's the other problem <laughs> that you've got. <laughs> And me, me, I would uh, actually 10 years. You'll take 10 enough. years younger I, too. I'd want, yeah, I'd want 20. 20. <laughs> You're being picky now. Yeah, I know. But that is one nice thing about endurance though. You do have older riders. I mean, that is we, one nice thing about endurance. We uh, do. And, and that is the, the cool thing, you know, just, you know, like when we interviewed uh, Potato after he won Tevis. Yeah, at the you, age of 70, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and then we have writers all the time that are in their, you know, 60s and 70s or even 80 that are still riding, you know, 25 or 50 or even 100 miles. But, you, you know, that's that's just the thing. It's. You know, it's just, it's a number. It's just a number. Age is a number. And uh, if it's something you really want to do, you can go do it. You know, you can go out and you can ride. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break for a song. We're going to come back. You have another guest lined up for today. And uh, we're going to get to that in just a minute. We're going to find out about a cool new product that really is great for endurance riders, but also good for anybody, Uh, especially trail riders and endurance riders, though. Uh, We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, a little Chancy Neal with Girl with a Guitar. We'll be back, everybody.
That was Chancey Neal with Girl with a Guitar. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. This is our Endurance Day episode, and we are brought to you by Renegade. Tell us a little bit about Renegade. Renegade hoof boots are made in Arizona in the United States. They come in several different colors, which is Great for the endurance or trail rider that wants to match their tack. But even more importantly, the boots are very user-friendly, easy to use. The horses just do fantastic in them. Um, You know, my horses have done thousands and thousands of miles, even one-day hundreds, five-day multi-day rides in them. Uh, I have junior riders that can put them on and take them off easily. Uh, They're just a terrific product and American made. And to learn more, go to renegadehoofboots.com. And I know a lot of people have been asked when they're looking at buying their first hoof boots that how do I measure them? Well, if you go to renegadehoofboots.com, you'll find a section and it is called, I'm there now, it is called Hoof Form, Hoof Form, and you click on that, and it'll bring you to a sizing chart. You can take uh, and look at the sizing, and it'll show you how to measure, and it has the sizing charts right there, because you do measure the width and the length. You measure both. Right, right. Yes, and they have pages on uh, sizing, adjusting, installing. There's also videos on YouTube showing all of this, which, which are very helpful and, and useful, and uh have you ever um, you, used the studded boots? You know what? I if I need studded boots, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going out. <laughs> I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do more ancestry research. <laughs> you know, that, and thus she is that why she is not an FEI rider. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But I do have you know thirty seven thousand miles. Coach, so I'm I, sorry, I, Coach. I am not going out today. <laughs> I know, I know. So I'm not that much of a wuss, but, uh, you know, if it's going to be, you know, where it's icy and stuff, that's just dangerous. And so if I can go out and ride in the snow, it, you know, as long as there's a, a nice layer of snow, then the horses have good traction and then they don't really need the studs so much, Um you know, but no, I've ridden for years and years and years in the winter without needing really needing the studs. But they do have them as an option, and they have so, glue ons too. Now, have you, do you have you ever used the glue ons? 
I've used the gluons, yes. Um, you know, and that's what I think people prefer for a ride, you know, like say Tevis, you know, because you put the boots on and then you're done. You don't have to worry about the boot, putting boots on or your horse's feet until the ride's over. And then, you know, then you're done. And, uh, you know, it's gluing on is a, a little bit more work because you got to do the prep and, and get the glue on uh, over the, the hoof wall and have everything prepped nicely. And then you've got to take them off, which is a little bit more work as well. Whereas with the st- plain old strap on renegades, you know, you just throw them on, take them off, piece of cake, you're done. That's, you know, that's. That's the beauty of of them, which is nice. Cool. Very good. And you can find those at renegadehoofboots.com. Now, we we have a few minutes. uh, Well, let me see. Yeah, we have a few minutes before our next guest. So why don't you tell us, uh, we'll do the upcoming events now before we get to our next guest. And Patty Stedman has something going on. Why don't you talk about that? Right. Yes. Petty. Patty. Good grief. Petty? Um, yeah, I need more coffee, Patty. Karen. Yeah, it's early there. It's early where Karen is. And it's been raining. She's waterlogged. It is, but the sun <laughs> is coming up, which is nice. It's going to be a beautiful day. Um, so Patty has been a guest on the show previously. She's also been the chair of the um, AERC Education Committee. And she's been putting together uh, a really great website called enduranceintrospection.com. And she's got a lot of great articles and education. And so we're going to have her on next month to come on and talk about, you know, how to become an educated, successful endurance writer. And uh, she's really good at, at, at that and getting the information all together I know she's organized some of the uh, the the slideshows and the PowerPoint presentations and stuff for some of the um, clinics that AERC has done for um, helping to get people educated and interested in endurance writing. And so she'll be here next month to tell us all about that. Very good. Our next guest is ready. Okay. Well, great. We have Randy Winter, who is a mountain region endurance rider. He's been riding endurance since 1992, and he came up with a great idea for a product that I think a lot of our listeners are, are, would or will find useful, and it's called a rain safe. And so we're going to talk to Randy and find out a little bit more about that. So welcome to the show, Randy. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Karen, and thank you for having me on the show. Sure. Well, thank you for uh, coming up with this idea. So tell us a little bit about this. How did how did you come up with this idea? Well, originally, um, on the Mountain Region Endurance Riders uh, Facebook page, uh, there was discussion about losing your reins at, at water tanks or when, when horses uh, went to to take nibbles from the grass. And so, you know, as endurance riders, we're all inventors. I mean, way back, I mean, we all wore pantyhose under our jeans <laughs> to keep right. shaving. <laughs> and we used, what, bicycle helmets when there were no endurance helmets. And so I've always been the equipment guy and the crew for my wife. And so I went to work on trying to figure out something that uh, would work 
so that you weren't trying to grab your reins and, and you know when the horse put their head down so that they didn't fall over the horse's head mm-hmm. and uh and so uh, I came up with this this idea to uh make a strap that uh, clips onto your saddle and then clips onto your reins and you can adjust it so that it's the the correct length so that you can let go and your horse can put its head down and drink and it, and it won't bump you know the bit so that the horse gets a mixed message to pull its head back up right right but uh yeah so so uh I went to work and and invented it and uh and people have have received it pretty well right and it comes in you can make it in different colors is it or is it just in one available in black Right now, the strap is is black, but the, black, okay. the carabiners are are aluminum, and they come in in many different colors. Um, so you can match your your year because, of course, endurance riders love colors. Oh, of course they do. <laughs> so yes, and and I got I I got one from you a couple months ago, and my junior rider just instantly fell in love with it. It was just you know it was perfect because while we were getting ready you know she could put the horse on the lawn the back lawn and let the horse graze and not have to worry about the reins falling down over the horse's head or getting stepped on or anything like that right it's it's a really good safety device also and uh you know for whatever reason if if the horse is traveling without the rider on its back and you know that hap- does happen sometimes. The the reins don't come down and get tangled in their feet where they can trip, or stepped on where they can can rip the bit from their mouth, or or just you know simply break the reins. And so it's a nice safety device. And uh, another use is that that uh, again for for junior riders or any riders trying to teach um, the rider to to rely on feet and legs rather than on using your, your reins, uh, you can lunge, uh, instructors have lunged riders and then told them to let go. But again, if you don't you know, have some kind of device to hold the reins, you're worried about the reins falling down over the horse's head. So this way they stay put and the rider can ride and concentrate on using their legs and feet to control the horse rather than, than their hands. Right, and it's great if you're taking pictures and stuff. You don't have to worry that you you know you're going to drop the reins and lose them. Right, and and you know for endurance riders, we always like to keep going, and so you know if for whatever reason you have to take your jacket off or put your jacket on or there you go, a bite to eat, you know again you can use both hands, and and you mentioned photography Uh, again for trail riders. Uh, it's it's really good because you can use both hands to get that that great picture. Right, right, and and so what do these sell for? They sell for around ten dollars. Okay, uh, and you can get. I I heard you earlier talking to to Kristen from the Distance Depot, and and they're available um, from Kristen at the Distance Depot, uh, and you can also get them from from directly from me if you email me. Uh, at Cheryl Randy at iCloud.com, and that's Cheryl with C H. But uh, 
uh, it's easier to go through Kristen. Uh, she takes credit cards and, and okay. I'm not set up to credit cards. Okay. Yeah. And you also make some other items that you sell. Um, tell us about those. I do. Um, uh, MaxTac is the business, and it started way back um, with me making uh, rope halters, yacht braid reins, and yacht braid lead ropes. And that was uh, way back. Uh, Marty Martin was a trainer here in Colorado, and he was a protege of Pat Pirelli. And at the time, he had clinics, and the people would come to the clinics and use the, the rope halters that, that Pat was, mm-hmm. was selling. And then Pat went to, to where you, you had to buy the halter, the lead, um, a video. You know, it was a package deal. And, and Mari didn't want to do that for his clients. And so we were sitting around one day, and, and he had some instructions. And my old Boy Scout knotting skills came in handy, and, <laughs> and I tied up a, a halter. And uh, he said, bring some to my next clinic. And that was, well, that was, boy, in, in I hate to say it, in the 19, late 1980s. And uh, I, they sold out, and I've been selling those ever since, and, and literally have sold, made, and sold thousands of them. Wow. And so how did you get started in endurance riding? Just curious. Well, I always, I always say that, that Cheryl, my wife, is the, the endurance rider, and I'm really the survivor. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she was a, a, a packer and, and got interested in, in endurance riding, did a couple of endurance rides, and, and I crewed for her. And, uh, you know, she wanted to have, of course, a second horse in case, you know, her horse needed to take a rest or whatever. And so I would help condition her second horse until we had two horses going. And then as long as we had two horses going, I went ahead and, and did a ride, and everybody told her she was she was silly for letting me um, ride because then she would lose her crew. Well, yeah, it's, and it's it's, hard, uh, it's twice as hard, or more than twice as hard, to have two horses going than one. <laughs> right, but, right. But we managed it. Yeah. You know, uh, so the, what? What? So, what's your favorite ride? Our, our favorite ride here in the mountain region. Um, is the the Shamrock Ride? Oh, okay. And that's been going on for this will be the twenty fifth year, and it'll actually be the last year that that the ride manager Susie Schomburg will be doing it. Oh, uh, okay. Girl, yeah, we, and that's we were a, there at the at the at the pioneer twenty five years ago. Wow, twenty five years! It's, yeah. Gosh, isn't it amazing how fast it goes by? <laughs> Yes, and and my wife two knees, uh, two new knees later, and me some back work, and and but we're we're still riding like like we compete. <laughs> Is my that her Indian name, two year. knees? <laughs> what was that? I said, is that her Indian name, Two Knees? <laughs> two Knees, Two New Knees, Titanium. titanium oh, man. Knees. <laughs> well, oh, I'm glad yes. she's still going. So, well, well, yes. thanks for coming on this morning, Randy, and talking with us. And uh, I love your product. And it's something that I think is very useful. And, and like you said, it's a safety safety device that that can be very useful for riders and just it's very um you know uh 
useful, convenient items. So thank you for coming up with it. Great. Thank you. And th- and happy Valentine's Day to you and Jennifer and, and all of your listeners and to my wife, Cheryl. Okay. Yes. You too. Happy Valentine's Day. Great. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye. Why hadn't that been invented before? You know, I don't know. But it's, <laughs> it's one of those convenient. things that seems like it would have been invented a long time ago. You know, right. And it's so, and, and it's nice because it can be adjusted. So you can, you know, depending on the length of the reins mm. that you use, you can adjust it so that it, you know, your horse can easily reach down to graze or to drink. And uh, it's just uh, nice, you know, it's it's just such a simple thing, you, you know, you do think, wow, why hasn't someone invented this before? But it's... Um, and for 10 you know, bucks, I mean, uh, it's ten ninety nine over at uh, d- thedistancedepot.com. It's ten ninety nine. I mean... Okay, yeah. okay. I mean, what the heck? <laughs> yes, I know. And it's great for my junior because... You know, I don't have to worry that uh, about the reins getting dropped or or whatever or you know. So it's it's a nice, yeah, nice useful item. All and right, very uh, cool. That's so very nice. it's always it's always fun to hear about you know stuff like this that's new and useful. And well, let's. Uh, where can people find out if there's a ride if they're if they want to get into. For for anybody new this spring, that when you know when the snow melts and the the mud dries up, when <laughs> when what do they do? Is that do to really going to gonna happen? Yes, it will. Another month, you'll be fine. It will. Okay, After we get done good. with a few more blizzards and uh, snowstorms, okay, everything hold will you be to fine. That. Says the guy living yeah. in Florida in eighty degrees. So now in the sand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So where can people go and and how would they do it? How would they get started? What you would do is you would go to the AERC.org website and you can uh, click on the ride calendar and pull up rides. You're um, given options by region and uh, you can look up and see which region you're in. I, I believe there's seven regions with AERC, you know, like I'm in the West region, which includes Nevada and North, the northern part of California, you know, Pacific South, for example, is Southern California and uh, parts of uh, uh, Southern Nevada. The Southwest is um, Arizona, Northwest, you've got Idaho and Oregon, you know, and then there's Midwest, Central, uh, uh, Southeast, which is where Glenn is. And then you've got um, the Northeast and East regions. So uh, you can find which region you're in and then look up which rides that are coming up. And that's a great way if you're new to the sport, if you want to go and learn more, uh, go and volunteer to help out at a ride. You can be a you know a timer, a vet scribe, a pulse checker, you know whatever. Um, you know even just hold horses for people when they come in at the vet checks. You know there's there's so many opportunities to go and and help and and be useful and to learn. You know just being at a ride is 
really educational just to watch and learn it it's uh, you know it's fun and and you'll meet people and and make friends and of course you know it 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 does get a little bit more fun once you've met a you know a couple of people and you start to become friends and and those are the kinds of friendships that are going to last a lifetime i mean i'm still friends with with the people that the very first people i ever met when i started getting involved in endurance you know, back in the early 90s. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the the fun part of the sport is the camaraderie. And um, just, you, you know, you build these relationships and it's, and it's a lot of fun, you know, so go to AERC.org. There's also um, a page that they have for mentorship, where you can go and look up somebody. And so, you know, feel free to go and, and look, look up those people and send them an email or make a phone call and, and get in touch and, you know, don't be shy. You know, that's the thing with endurance writers. We all have strong personalities. We're not shy. So reach out and, uh, you know, get involved and go do it. You've talked before about the mentor program and, and how much you think that's worth, worth it and important. Right. Right. It's it's very helpful because you can, you know, actually meet people in person and go ride with them and train and condition and just, you know, pick their brain and learn. You know, we're so lucky in this modern age, you know, and in fact, doing all the genealogy research I've done recently has really made me even more aware of how lucky we are and how many great advantages we have in our modern lives you know compared to our ancestors and how hard they had it and so we're so lucky we have so much available to us online you know you can just go and you can google you know endurance writing or writer education and you can learn so much but when it comes down to it you know the best way to learn is getting out there and doing it and meeting up with like-minded people that are wanting to do the same thing that, that you're doing. Well, I so, do have good news no. for you. Another convert here in the Horse uh, Radio Network family of hosts, Dr. Wendy Ying uh, has a half Arab, half something, warm blood of some, I don't know, half Arab, half <laughs> Dutch, I don't know, I don't know really what that okay. horse is, but half Arab something, and she used to drive it, and it was part of her driving team, and now she's uh, not driving it anymore, so she has taken up and fallen in love with endurance, so. How awesome, and you know, didn't, don't you have a couple of, of uh, um, either hosts or auditors that are going to go on the Mongol Derby? Well, we have one uh, one okay. per- person that's Leslie from Horse Nation who comes on wow. here uh, every Monday or every Monday, and she okay. has signed up. There were two more: Mary Kitzmiller and Wendy both had signed up, but they backed out for this year. Um, actually, Wendy got contacted about being a veterinarian on the Mongol Derby, so she's thinking about that. But um, oh, cool. Yeah, so she's, uh, but she's really getting into endurance riding, and and yes, uh, Leslie is still on track. She's paid her money, okay. so she's wow. going. That'll be crazy. <clears throat> That'll be nuts. 
Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Even you're not signing but, up for that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Like I said, give me 20 years back yeah. and I might do it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Jamie will be back tomorrow here on Horses in the Morning. And if you want to catch all the past episodes of Karen, just go to horsesinthemorning.com and search for Endurance. That'll uh, bring back all the past episodes. You can listen to them there. The easiest way to listen to our shows is on our app. You just go to iOS or Android App Store and search for Horse Radio Network. Uh, that's how you can find uh, all of our shows. There's 12 shows now, and we'll be th- well. Actually, there's 13 shows now. 12 of them are on the app, and the other one will be on the app here by the end of the week. So we have something to cover every discipline, every sport, and a few shows that just cover everything, like horses in the morning. Thanks, Karen. You be safe out there, and uh, uh, don't get stuck in the mud. <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it. Ha, ha, ha.